Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the binding. Another episode of Beyond the Bindings. I'm Max Lopez, and today we are going to be covering The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, which was published in 2020 and was preceded by 2017's How to Stop Time. And it's actually, from what I know, is Matt Haig's most recent book. I've read two in the past and covered them. I covered them earlier in, 2000, in 2022 here. I did The Dead Father's Club first, and then I did that book I had just mentioned, How to Stop Time. I really like both of those. I really like his writing style. It's very interesting and very uh, kind of introspective on coping with uh, particularly death. And that's something that all of his books cover, or at least the th he's, he's written quite a few books, actually. But this, these three that I've read particularly covered death, which is an interesting concept, or uh, it's an interesting concept, it's an interesting topic, and he does it in this very introspective way where there's a lot of uh, understanding, coping, and learning to cope, and those sorts of themes and ideas and character traits and it's a major part of like all all three of his books the main characters kind of go through a big character development arc that revolves around understanding death coping with death fearing death whatever it happens to be and i find that very interesting and it is kind of intriguing it makes me want to read more of his books but uh these are not the type these are for me these aren't the books that i could just read a bunch of them in a row, I, I kind of need to do them intermittently. I think that I appreciate them a little bit more doing it that way. Although, I say that now, and I did read The Dead Father's Club and How to Stop Time back to back, but I think the reason that works so well is that I read The Dead Father's Club first, and I read How to Stop Time second. And uh, How to Stop Time, is was hand, of the three I've read, was hands down my favorite. But the Midnight Library is very good. I thought it, it slowed and there was a little bit of a lull at the end, which I'll get to later. But that's just personally, I think I was like, sometimes I get really excited about what I'm going to read next. And if I put too much thought into that before I read, before I finish the book I'm currently reading, sometimes it can kind of affect my interest in that book, which isn't ideal, but it happens sometimes, especially like depending on what I come across or whatever it happens to be. Uh, I had been meaning to read The Midnight Library for some time because, you know, I follow a lot of people who do something similar to me on Instagram where maybe they're not recording a podcast, but they are posting pictures and reviews of the books that they read. And the one Matt Hag book that I always see or see is the only one I really see is The Midnight Library. So I've been kind of curious because I'm pretty sure it's his most well-known book. It is, uh, according to the cover, uh, it was a Good Morning America book club book. When I checked it out from my library, it was actually a book club book because it's kind of cool. One of, uh, one of my libraries is uh, you can check out like 
whole sets of books for book clubs. So like there, this is a set of like six or there might be more. It doesn't really matter to you, I guess, but kind of cool idea, I think, so that like a one person can check out all the books for a book club and, um, just kind of an easy way to get your hands on several books. I thought that was pretty interesting. But yeah, so this is a Good Morning America book club book. And honestly, it was good. Like I said, it's not as good as How to Stop Time, in my opinion. I think I just under I just enjoyed the um, the fantasy concept of How to Stop Time, like the fact that there's like an under, underground society of people who can live very extended lives. I found that. Um, more appealing to me now so basically i'll get into the midnight library i'm not going to go into like a lot of the fine details as i try not to usually but with this one i i would say if if it's if it kind of strikes your interest just read it it's not a very long book it's less than 300 pages i burned through it in i think two nights because it, he does kind of have this more uh, like this very like kind of addicted addicting writing style where the some of the chapters are short so like often you'll be like all right this will be my last chapter but the next one's only a page and a half so you read it and maybe that one sparks your interest so then you read the next one and it kind of perpetuates on itself which is a good that's a you know that's a good quality in a writer i find books that are written like that to sometimes be easier to read because it's kind of like that uh that that reading ego that i've talked about like they just you're burning through the chapters so quick and it kind of boosts that ego and then you keep going and then all of a sudden you read a 280 page book in five hours, six hours, something like that. So it, I do enjoy his writing style and it's really not so much, uh, I mean the major critique I have is that it kind of dra dragged on a bit towards the end. But it, it, some people might like that. Maybe it was just me, like you said, maybe it was just the fact that I was kind of itching to read my next book, which I had planned, which I don't often have planned, or at least I wasn't as excited as I was to read this next one that I'm currently in right now. So basically, the the Midnight li Library revolves around a character named Nora Seed, and it starts out, and immediately you're introduced to the idea that in the next, I want to say, 24 hours at the beginning of the story, she is going to kill herself. And so the first like 20 to 30 pages kind of count down that clock, not necessarily like in any particular order, but it will jump from like 24 hours to 19 hours to 12 hours. And then it gets down to like, down to like the, the minutes before she does it. And this all happens very, very early in the story and she actually commits suicide. So suicide and obviously death and the desire for one to die is something that Matt Haig is going for in this book. But again, it's some more of these death ideas, these death concepts that he hits in both The Dead Father's Club and How to Stop Time. Maybe he doesn't hit it at the, in the same way, but he's still kind of toying with these ideas. So Nora Seed does commit suicide. And the next thing you know, she winds up in this place and there is, it's essentially a library. And there's a librarian there named Mrs. Elm, and she tells Nora how this is the Midnight Library and how it contains books of all her different possibilities of life. So it goes into the this idea that for every choice you make, there could essentially be a handful of outcomes or a handful of choices that you could make for that one question. Or so 
ideally, so I, I'm set up in a situation and there's four different routes I could take. Say there's officially four different routes, no more, no less. Well, this library will have a book where in each life you went a different route. And because that could go on infinitely, there is basically just an endless amount of these books. I did this, then this happened, but I went this direction and something else happened. So it's kind of cool. She is introduced to this whole world of the possibilities of what her life could have been. Now, the first book that the librarian, Mrs. Elm, introduces her to is the Book of Regrets, which contains every regret she's ever had. So within this Book of Regrets kind of leads to all of these potential books, because within each regret could be another direction that she could have gone in a choice that she made, but that other direction could have spawned how many different endless possibilities of choices that she could choose to go one way or the other. So the idea that Nora doesn't fully understand, I don't, I don't believe at the beginning, is that there is not a set amount of books in the library. It, it's absolutely infinite. And also remember that you're unsure at this time if Nora successfully committed suicide, if she's in the hospital, if this is a real place. Because in Matt Hag books we have, especially in How to Stop Time, kind of toyed with that fantasy realm a little bit. I didn't get the perception that this was a real place at all. I, I, I got the perception that she was kind of in this limbo world. Like, potentially she was in a coma, didn't succeed in her suicide attempt, something along those lines. I thought that was pretty clear, but I, per I, I assume somebody could perceive it in a different way. That is just how I perceived it, just in general. So, the Midnight Library, essentially she goes, she gets her books of regrets, her book of regrets, and then she starts to explore the library. And... This is where the book gets really intriguing because you're seeing Nora go into these different versions of herself and it's kind of interesting because she doesn't know that Nora very well or at all. So like at the beginning there's a lot of her just trying to figure out what's happening and how to convince everybody who's been living with this other Nora, essentially the same person, but somebody who chose a different route in their life, and she's kind of has to adapt to it. And so that's basically how the book goes, is you are going through these different lives, and she's learning more as she progresses through them. Some of them bring frustration, some of them bring more of her anxiety. And then you start to learn a lot more about Nora, because leading up to it, you really don't know all that much, and you don't really know all that much about why she committed suicide in the first place. And that's something that you begin to learn. So I do think that that was kind of an interesting route that Matt Haig took with this, is that instead of introducing you to the reasons why Nora would do something like this right away, instead he lets you get to know her more. Because although she's going to live these separate lives of different versions of herself, you still get like the core, the root world Nora, or what we believe to be the root world Nora, which I thought was really, really cool. Now there are, again, some little wrenches uh, that get thrown into my idea that this is kind of just like a limbo in her head while she's like in a coma. Um, and there, it, that is kind of an interesting part. She learns a lot about people that she shouldn't know about that ended up being like truthful in the real world and she 
runs into other travelers, which is kind of interesting as well. So the now that I kind of ponder it a little bit, there, I don't know if it's set. I don't know if my perception is hundred percent set in stone. I did get the feeling, and I I stick with that. But I could see where somebody could go the opposite way, or it could just go in the way of we're both right, and it really doesn't matter, and that's not essentially the point of the story. Which I like that as well. I thought that the experiences that she had were very vivid and very well realized by Matt Hag. I thought he did a good, not even he, I thought he did a great job using the different lives that she goes to in very important ways and using them in ways for us to better understand the root world Nora and to again understand why she would make these particular choices. So I just thought that eventually she goes into a lot of them and I, I just kind of got wore out on them a little bit. I, and again, this is just personally, maybe I was excited to read my next book, who knows. But I, I by the end of them, there was like a really longer one and I was kind of by, I, I was kind of ready for her to get the point of what she was supposed to learn at the Midnight Library. But very cool, very vivid, very well constructed. And I really enjoy his writing style. I I mean he has been writing books for longer than I had I, I I checked out this other book by him. It's not in the room with me right now, but it looked interesting and it had a Labrador retriever on the front, which I love dogs, so I checked that one out too. I, I might return it. I might not read that one right now at least. But that's from his early career. I want to say that book was published in like 2004. He's also got a lot of children's books, which I want to look into because I've been looking for some new ideas on things to read to my students at school. So I might, I might try and find some of those as well. But he is a good author. And I really think that we might not have seen even the best from him yet. I'm very interested and intrigued to continue to follow him because he is different than what I usually read, but at the same time, right in my wheelhouse, which I really respect. I think that he does something pretty unique and I find it um, alluring. That's why I, I will continue. And especially this book, like this is actually a pretty popular book. Not saying that, like obviously the Stephen King books I read and Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, all those those things are famous, but like, None of those are typically on Good Morning America or like, um, like who's that that actress like the Reese Witherspoon book clubs I think those books are really popular, um, or are they like book I don't know what she calls that she has a name for it it also has a similar sticker to how the Good Morning America has that here on the book now I wanted to mention one particular thing too before I get into the major themes here is that Mad Hank also and this has nothing to do with him, it has more something to do with me, is I read a lot of books from the 80s and the 90s, or the 70s, and uh, and I don't go too far beyond that. Maybe a couple outliers here and there with like some classics or books I've never read that are classics. But it's really weird for me when authors write books that take place like in 2020 or in, you know, in the 2010s, and they use like modern technology like very well and like like in this book like social media and instagram play like a huge role it's like a major part of like nora seed's anxiety and depression kind of revolves around that and some of these lives she goes and lives that's like heightened and it's very interesting at one point he is almost kind of shedding a light on his beliefs of like the negative 
outcomes that we've kind of received, especially in the most our most recent years with social media, of like he had this statistic, and I don't know how accurate this is, not even necessarily a statistic, but he was talking about hunting and gathering communities in like the dawn of humanity. Our these humans' brains were wired to interact with around 100 to 150 people because that's who would typically be in those communities of hunters and gatherers. And if you think about this, I could go into my newsfeed. You know, I know X amount of people. I I work with, I work with 50 people. Uh, there's 700 kids who go to my school. So 750 people right there. I could go on Instagram right now. I could go into the newsfeed and I could scroll through. I could probably see 70 people I've never seen in my entire life and will never see again in the next 30 seconds. And then I can go to a grocery store and be around how many people that I also don't know. So it's just like that. It's almost like our brains weren't able to develop quick enough to be able to handle the stimulus that we're, we're getting from being around so many people. And this is something that he introduces in this story. It was something that I found kind of interesting. I haven't really looked into it, but I'm sure there has been some studies done on this before because we truly do interact with people more than other, more than ever right now. Whether we're actually physically interacting with them or just seeing their face, it, which is something that you would imagine even even 50 years ago wasn't something that you you would really generally see the people who lived in your town, the people who went to your school, but you wouldn't really see that many other people all the time. And now that that number has, even since I was a teenager, has grown exponentially. And it almost seems like it's going to continue to grow in that way. And I don't, I couldn't tell you for sure because I'm not a biologist. I don't know. And I'm not certainly not somebody who studies the brain. I don't know all that much about it, but it is very interesting to me, and it, it almost, the point he's trying to make is, Nora, a lot of her anxiety is driven by this, and because of that, a lot of her depression is also driven by that, and which he's essentially just kind of linking that chain to come to the results of her suicide, which is very interesting, and also he did it really well. I, I mean, I think he tackles that. Like, the suicide thing I respect a lot because... I respect the fact that he, he covered it because it's such a sensitive topic. Um, it's something that, unfortunately, with a friend of mine, I've had to deal with when I was much younger. A friend of mine had committed suicide when I was, like, 21. And I think I've talked about it on here before, but, I mean, it crushed me when it happened. It crushed my it crushed my whole friend group. I mean, we had a small friend group, but it, it, was, it was pretty harsh on us. And uh, it's... I'd kind of regret it if I didn't mention it just because that's the topic of this book. But I did find the way he tackled the concept as, as being very tasteful. Um, I feel that sometimes suicide is romanticized in, in, in stories, not necessarily just books, but in, uh, in shows and movies as well. Like there's always some like very dramatic situation that leads up to it. Um, and it's not often just like the checking out of of a of a of a person, which I think it, it could be honestly that quite often. And that's kind of what is what we see with Nora here. And I think that that's really essential. Like it wasn't necessarily that people were bullying her at school. It wasn't necessarily like this giant thing that kind of 
led up and it was this big dramatic series of events that all led up to this person taking their life and instead it was just somebody who just couldn't handle the gravity of social life and the gravity of dealing with people it wasn't this big romantic thing it was it was very much rooted in loneliness and anxiety and depression so into the major themes, anxiety is huge in this. Both generalized anxiety and social anxiety play a huge role in Nora's life. They play a huge theme in this book. And again, I think he, I think Hag did it very tastefully and very well. And it was very real. Knowing people who have dealt with anxiety, having dealt with it myself, I mean, he did an incredible job making it something very believable. Obviously, suicide played a major theme in this story as well. And the biggest one, especially with the addition of the Book of Regrets in the Midnight Library, is just the idea of regret. Because essentially all of these lives that she lives, she chose to go into these particular ones because they revolved around some regret she had from their life. And, you know, we've all regretted both little things and big things throughout our entire life. And I think sometimes it's easier to ignore the fact that you did it and just kind of move on and try to forget about it. But I think a point of what he's the the point he's trying to make with the Midnight Library is that you can't ignore the regrets that you have in your life. Instead, you have to use them as fuel. You have to use them as a tool, as something to continue to grow and continue to say, "I regret that, but what can I do?" to now make this change, to go do something else. Not even to make up for that regret, but what is what could you take from it? What could you learn from it? And how could you continue to grow through that regret? Because regrets are natural. We're always going to regret something. And I mean, I do it for both little things, for big things. Uh, for instance, this book. I... Uh, I, I finished this book like five days ago. I typically record the podcast like the next day. I regretted it at first that I didn't get right to it. I was just busy and I didn't want to take the 20 minutes and, you know, this and that. I ended up getting pretty busy and I regretted it. And then I was like, well, I didn't do it yet and it's Monday now. And I was like, you know, this episode doesn't come out tomorrow. You could record it tomorrow. Well, tomorrow I'm going to have another list of things to do. So why don't you just take care of it now? So using that regret of not doing it last week as fuel to do it today and I thought that that was, um, it was, it was, it was a good, it, it, I don't know, it's kind of ironic that that happened for this book, but did I like it? Yeah. Did it drag on for me at the end? Just a little bit. Honestly, not even that much. It was only like the last 50 pages, but would I recommend it? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a great author. I think there's going to be even better stuff coming from him, even better than How to Stop Time. And I really like that book. Moving forward, and the reason why I really wanted to move on from this book is right now I have started Talisman by Peter Straub and Stephen King. The reason I decided to read this book, which I, and I'm sure many of you have finished the last season of Stranger Things, Stranger Things 4, and at the very end, Mike is reading a copy of Talisman by Peter Straub and Stephen King. Now, I'm not going to talk about why he's reading it or what he's doing with it. If you know, you know, and if not, you should go get caught up. Because it was a good season. I really enjoyed it. And uh, Talisman has been really fun so far. And it's always cool to see SK do some uh, co-writing, which I've only done 
with that Richard Chismar books, and I think they only co-wrote the first one. And that was really good, the Gwendy's Button Box. Those, I enjoyed those. I don't know, really good? I don't know, I'd have to reread them. I liked them a lot at the time. Or I'll, maybe I'll listen to those podcast, those episodes I did on them. But so yeah, check away for Talisman. As always, go get a library card and, you know, listen to some more episodes of podcasts. And if you have anything you're interested in me reading, let me know. I'd love to check it out. But that will come out next. Yeah, that'll be next. I'm pretty excited about it. And then we'll get, then we're going to get back to Discworld because it's not been that long, but it's been long enough and I'm ready to get back to it. So then we'll be back with Weird Sisters, the sixth Discworld book. <laughs>